I'm going to read one verse today to begin uh, this, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and just part of that verse where it says this, and they were all together in one place. What an amazing verse of Scripture that that is. Christ had come to the earth, Christmas, you know the story. Uh, He had taught amazing things of God about the kingdom of God. Love your neighbor, love God, uh, serve one another. The Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who thirst after righteousness. You probably know some of those things that he taught. Uh, And then he went to the cross, obedient to God to death, and there he died for the sins of the world. Very simple story. It's a story of the church, though, a story of this church. In the resurrection, what a great event in history that God defeated death in the resurrection. Again, the story of the church. Then he came back and he told his followers, just a handful, there weren't very many then, just 120 or so, give or take, said, I want you to go wait. I want you to wait in Jerusalem. And they waited there for 40 days. And there they came together as one people. And they, we don't know what they did. We assume they prayed, maybe read the Psalms, maybe, maybe went out for lunch on occasion. But 40 days, give or take, they gathered there in that city till verse 2, that I just, chapter 2, verse 1, where I just read, and then they were all together in one place. And at that moment, we're told, the Holy Spirit came upon them in a very powerful way. The words are, the building shook. Uh, there were uh, uh, tongues like as a fire that came down upon them. And from that place, they went into their world and shared the good news. The world's never been the same. That 120 became today 2 billion people, give or take, who claim the name of Christ in one shape or one form or another. So think about what it means to be together as the people of God, just singing and praying and bowing our heads, shaking hands, being together, and what that means for all of us. Now, in that context, I want to share a few things that you may or may not know. Uh, We share in this church a great and amazing life and mission. It's a big deal what we're about today in our own relationships and also we reach out to the world that we live in, our community, and all the ways we connect with those around us. It's a big deal to be a part of a church, any church, whether it's 120 or whether it's 5,000, it's a big deal. Bill Hybels, uh, someone that I've respected for many years, pastored one of the largest churches in America for the last 30 years there in Chicago area, he said that the church is the hope of the world. I believe that with all my heart, soul, and mind. I believe that there are answers that governments can provide. There are answers that philosophies and economics and other organizations can provide in the world that are important as well. I validate those things, but there's no substitute for the answer the church has for the world. It is the hope of the world, as he says. And now I want to share today the first point of this message. And I will give you a heads up on this one that I normally preach from a kind of an outline format, which is a very few things that I put on paper. Today I have more of a manuscript form because I don't want to miss anything. I want to be very, very carefully cover the things I wanted to say today, so please be aware of that. But the first point of this sermon is this. It's you. It's each other. It's those around you today who said, I'm going to go to church on a cloudy, rainy, maybe or maybe not icy day, I'm going to leave my service, go to somebody else's that I don't normally go to. I'm going to have my service different than it normally is. I'm going to sit where I don't normally sit. All that's going to happen. And I'm going to come, and I'm going to be there because I want to be a part of what God's doing in in the First Methodist Church. It's you. It's your faith. It's your need. 
It's your prayers. It's your praise. It's your gifts. It's your service. It's how we as a unique uh, bunch of people from all categories of life come together around what, we, what the music was about today. Just, just praise God, a blessed assurance, Jesus is our Lord, uh, singing songs of faith and all, kind of, all kinds of formats today in a really uh, amazing format and doing that. So you are the first point of this message and those around you are. You may or may not know the people around you. You probably don't today because uh, we're kind of mixing and matching everything here in our service. What I want you to do is I want you in a second, I wa- I'm going to want you to stand up. And I'm going to want you just to, just to greet those around you. Now, if you want to do this, that's fine. It doesn't matter. Uh, I realize there's still a little bit of flu, though it's going down, we're told. We're down like into 20% are getting it uh, when they go to the hospital instead of 30, which it was a month ago. I guess that's better. Uh, but anyway, I want you to see the people around you. I want you to see a sermon in them and the faith you share with them and they with you uh, and the commitment that you have and they share with you and the, and the generosity they offer in presence and all the ways we've talked about and they offer with you and how that makes the church work. They were all together in one place around the name of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit came upon them. Thank you all for doing that for me today. When you actually read surveys about greeting times in church or fellow, whatever, whatever you terms you want to use with that, about two-thirds of the people hate that time. They don't like it. You know, that's what the surveys say. <laughs> we're just discussing it. We make you do it anyway because what we use your words, it's good for you. That's right. It's good for us. So we, we do it anyway. Uh, and, and I think it's important today to understand that. It's a concept of church that really marks the church. The coming together around Christ is what makes a church the church. So I want you to see that and understand that as the first point today. And you may not be aware of how the leadership in this, this first family works. We do have a very structured leadership style here, as many churches do. We have a lot of accountability there. We folks who lead our church in different ways, and we have what we might call official leadership, those who voted at church conference that we have uh, once a year, sometimes more than once a year. Uh, and I'm going to kind of recognize some of those people as best I can. I, know they may, may, we, I understand we have a lot of people online today, so if you're online joining us, uh, thank you for joining us online. Folks back in the atrium as well who are worshiping there, I'm aware of that also. But I want you to get a sense of who we are in leadership also. We have a group we call the Life and Mission Council. It's brand new, been around two years. Life and Mission Council really interacts with our community. There are folks who lead in the community around us as well as the church. And so it's kind of a a broad spectrum of committed people who reflect Christ in all kinds of unique ways in our church. And we appreciate that. So if you're on the Life and Mission Council, whether you're staff or or, or lady, it doesn't matter, would you stand where you are so we can see you for a second? The Life and Mission Council, you're seeing some of those people that are here and how they reflect that again, other places are. So, so note these folks help us interact with our community and how we serve God in that unique way. Step back down, thank you. Thank you for doing that. You know who they are. Uh, get a feel for that leadership body in our church. We also have what's called the Executive Lay Leadership Team. Executive Lay Leadership Team began about eight years ago. And that has a number of pastors and staff on that one, a very small number along with a key uh, lay leaders that are on that as well, about an equal number, and they pretty much direct the major shifts, work, and leadership of our church. And so that's become a, uh, they meet regularly to do that on a monthly basis, often more than that. If you're on the executive lay leadership team, will you please stand where you are as well? 
We have many of them here I see today. I you know who they are. Some of those folks are involved in that leadership, so in the back as well. So we thank you for standing for us. Uh, and they really do a lot of work, a lot of prayer, leading our church in what I believe is a remarkable way. We have a group called the Pastor Parish Relations Committee. Uh, that's all laity. There's no staff on that. And those uh, nine people really d- directly relate to pastors in our church. Uh, they are the ones who relate between our bishop, which we have, if you've not uh, been around our church very long, we have a bishop who actually appoints pastors to churches. Uh, he has that responsibility, uh, 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 Michael, Bishop Mike Lowry. And he works with PPR committee and pastors on those decisions uh, on a regular basis. So if you're on the PPR committee, will you please stand also where you are so we can know who you are. There's a few here in that, so we celebrate their ministry and life together. Thank you. Again, some may be uh, watching online, some may be in the atrium. Uh, so you know how our church works, and they meet on a regular basis. They work with salaries. They work with appointments. They work with uh, evalu- they evaluate us every year. They evaluate the heck out of us, if you're wondering about that. Uh, sometime more than once a year because our bishop asked for that. Uh, we're, they did it twice this year. Thank you. We, we're, we're good so far with that one. Uh, we have a stewardship team. It used to be called the Finance Committee for Long-Term Methodists, and the stewardship team uh, meets monthly addressing our financial needs, uh, income that we have, the gifts that people give. They hold us accountable to keeping the budget the way it's supposed to be healthy in a way, uh, and they really are a very important part of our church. They, they work very hard, the stewardship team does. Stewardship team, will you please stand where you are? Some stewardship leaders here, thank you for your work and leadership also in our church. Thank you again. Thank you for that. So, and you'll note they reflect really all of our church. In lots of different ways. We want that to be the case. We have trustees. Trustees work with our property and facilities. They do other things as well. It's their primary duty. They often do the work themselves or make sure it happens. Uh, and our trustees are an important part of our church. Will our trustees please stand, our trustees team? Trustees, please stand. You see some of our trustees here. Their work and leadership. Thank you for your work. It's a lot to do. We appreciate that as well. So you've got a sense of who they are. Now, if you serve on any leadership team in our church, if you've already stood, Stand again. Anybody else that serves on a leadership team of anywhere in our church, any kind of lead team, mission team, outreach team, I don't care what it is, if you serve on some kind of team and body, the foundation we have, uh, mission center work, and even though we're separate, it's still part, part, will you stand where you are as well? Everybody all together so we see who you are and see the strength of leadership in our church, official leadership in our church, and we can applaud that, yes. Uh, you certainly have already seen uh, our music leadership, and we have a lot of those people. Uh, it's amazing to have uh, so many uh, praise bands and worship teams, and then this amazing choir, an amazing orchestra, the bell choir, who didn't play today. We didn't have enough time for that, but uh, all those things coming together. Uh, I want you to get the sense of this church and the commitment that we have together to what we're doing as the people of God. Now, I want to add that we have a, a lot of uh, staff in our church. I want the pastors to remain seated if they would, but uh, all the staff that we have, we have a lot of staff who work with children's ministries. They're very busy today, by the way. Uh, our children's ministry team is handling G-Force today, along with our nurseries, so that the volunteers and teachers could be here. And so they're sacrificing not being able to be present in worship take care of all our kids in remarkable ways, so uh, be aware of that. So if you're a a staff person in any way, shape, or form, will you stand where you are also so we can see you? All our staff who are here today, and certainly we have some up here, so thank you. (laughs) 
Hopefully you saw in one way or the other our parking lot greeters and ushers, uh, greeters in the sanctuary, uh, those who assisted you finding your way here today. I won't have them stand. You probably saw them already, but uh, note the commitment they have week by week to do that also. And we also have our pastors. Uh, I'm one of our pastors. Uh, when I came to Mansfield some time ago, I, I flew solo for quite a long time with that. It was great to be able to add other pastors as the years went on. Most of our pastors actually came up into ministry through this church themselves. So, uh, but nonetheless, our pastors are all over here. And you probably know, because we're standing where you are, would you? Uh, there they are, youth, and well, celebrate them. One of the things that you have when you work with people day in and day out, you know them very, very well. There are no mystery as time goes on. I can't say enough about the commitment, uh, love for God, love for you, uh, commitment to the church being great for Christ that these, that these men and women have in this church. I, I am 100% behind each one of these men and women what they do. Uh, I know what they care about. I know what they're committed to. I know their sincerity. Uh, I know why they're here, why they continue to be here after many years. And, and I want to celebrate that ministry with you today. So please uh, note that for me as a senior pastor uh, today. Now I want to share a few other things as well. I'm going to stop in the mid-season of this uh, uh, sharing with you today. And I'm going to look at 1 Corinthians in a second. First, I want to say that I'm not sure expectation of a day, but I'll make it clear right now so you'll have that out of your head. I'm not retiring. I'm not moving. <laughs> Don't applaud. I just don't want you to go. I don't want you to go there. This is the reason that I'm, I'm doing that as I continue this next conversation. So that's why I said that. But 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 11 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, especially when it comes to the church. It's about the Corinthian church. And the Corinthian church was one of the greatest churches in the New Testament. Uh, they, they grew rapidly in what is called the city of Corinth, uh, which might be best typified as the Los Angeles of its day in the Roman Empire. And so it was a really wild and crazy place. It just was. It was pagan. It was immoral. Uh, there were all kinds of people who were there from all categories and all backgrounds of life and every kind of imaginable person that was, existed there. The church grew rapidly. And as it grew and they came to Christ, they came together and they worshiped together. And they struggled in that. Why? Because people are people. People struggle in relationships as part of being human. Nothing wrong with it, nothing good or bad. It's just what is. And so they had some of those struggles happening in their life. In fact, some were doing this. Uh, some were saying, hey, we're of Apollos. And Apollos was a pastor in that community and in the early church in those days. And Apollos was considered, some think he might have wrote the book of Hebrews, we're not sure. Uh, some some uh, said Apollos was noted as he was the greatest orator of all the preachers. He was the best. He told the best stories, I guess. I don't know. He might have been the funniest. He might have had the best voice. We don't, but he was, the, he was the best preacher that we know of when it comes to ability and communication style in, in the Bible that we know of. And some said, hey, we're of Apollos. That's who we're following. Now others said, oh, no, no, we follow Peter or Cephas. He's one of the apostles. You know, he's one of the very first. He was there with Jesus. 
And somehow that making them seem like they're more because they said, we're following uh, Peter. We're following Peter. And there were others who said, oh, no, 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 we're not about Peter. We're not about Paul. We're following Paul. He's the one that came and told us about Christ in the first place. He's the one that first told us. He's the one we emotionally connect to. And so they said that about him. No, no, we, we follow Paul. And so we have that picture going on. And, and here's what Corinthians says about that. And Paul writes these words. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You know, and Jesus is the foundation of this church. That's where our success has come from. And then Jesus says, which I think is the heart of this church, what I'm going to say next. Come unto me, all you that weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I see so many pastors' hearts here, uh, us and you, who care about the world we live in. Jesus said we're to be salt and light in the world. No church is more dedicated to that. I applaud that so often. We're the body of Christ. Bible says we are. We're, we're the body of Christ in the world, and Christ is the head of that body. We're the called out ones of God. Jesus said we're to be the city on a hill, the lamp uh, on a lampstand so all can see. You may know the Methodist church began with a revival. It was a move of God. It was not really directed or guided by anyone. Um, John Wesley gets credit for that, but he knows where the credit should go, and he would tell us that if he was here. His own experience where he experienced Christ in a very personal way. And in that moment, we're told his heart was strangely warmed. And he said these words, for the first time I knew my sins were forgiven. And those simple words and that experience really began the movement where those words and what they typify in Christ went out first into England, the poorest of the poor, anyone who would listen, and then eventually to this country in America and, and beyond that around the world and how those good news were shared with the world we live in. Just personally as I began, I began the very same way with an experience just like that. I might not have verbalized it exactly the same way, but the experience was the same, you know, for me when I was a young man, and that's always been a guide for me. Understand what God can do in the human heart, how he can change people's hearts and lives and bless us in ways that only God can do. Because after all, the church and Jesus is the hope of the world. So I have two questions. I can ask you this, have you in your life accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you submitted to him as the Lord of your life as a disciple? Two simple questions. Where you come to a place somewhere either over a long period of time or you make the decision once in a moment, doesn't matter how it happens, but somewhere in your life can you say, yeah, yeah, I've done that. Jesus is my Savior and I'm good with that. And oh yes, that's not all. I choose to follow him, he's my Lord. I want to be obedient to him. Because I see that in our church as our common denominator. That's what connects us. And that connection is very real and very clear for us in our life as we connect together as a people of God. It's our common denominator. Churches work, I believe most firmly, when everyone bends the knee to Jesus Christ. That's how we come together and agree. That's how those who said, I'm a Apollos, I'm a Cephas, I'm a Peter, they came together. 
And when, by the way, that the church began, and they were all together in one place, just like Jesus told them to be. And they went, and they were there, and God worked in that moment. And how important that is. Now, would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you for this church and the people that are here. For the folks online that are joining us, those who will join us later by reviewing what's online, for those in the atrium, those all around, God, we, we came, Lord, uh, really because we believe in you. We believe in your church. We believe in each other. We believe in First Methodist Church. And I ask you, God, as we gather together in one place to fill us all with the Holy Spirit, turn our hearts toward Christ as our Savior, and God, help us commit to follow you, to be obedient to you. That's where our heart is. It's not hard to stay there, God, but if we've strayed, bring us back. If we've never been there, God, may we join that place today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some years ago, we discovered that we were in the top 100 attended Methodist churches in the nation when I was invited to be part of what's called the Leading Edge, uh, which was the pastors of those churches. I had no idea until then, and been a part of that now for eight years. That's who we are. I simply tell you that, so you'll know. Uh, we had uh, uh, 5,400 people here on Christmas Eve worship services. Last year, we had close to 6,000 on Easter. I believe those are both records for our church. Uh, they're at the Performing Arts Center. We have given this last year around $5 million uh, to the ministry of this church life mission here and beyond that in all kinds of ways and missions around the world. What a blessing. Uh, it's still thrilling to me to have Christmas Eve service. People come in about Christmas and to light candles and sing Silent Night and then to go home for presents and still to give $55,000 to an African mission, uh, which is what we did this year. And it grows each year to be a larger number, how special that is. Each year, hundreds come to Christ here through profession of faith in Christ. Hundreds unite with our church family just by joining and be part of what God is doing here. Okay, let, me, let me be a part. Each, each year we partner with uh, other churches and other community leadership from the school to the city and beyond that in mission and outreach going beyond. That's our, and I say it often, that's our DNA here. That's who we are. I didn't create that. It's, that's just here. It's kind of has grown from the first seeds planted many years ago in this church family. And I love that about us. This is a significant church. We have a team going to Rwanda here in February, and Pastor Dave is going to be on that team this year. But understand, we are a significant church. I believe it means this. We'll tell a story, and I, it's a true story, but my own grandmother, uh, my grandmother who I love dearly, and that sounds like Pastor Caesar now, don't I, talking about my grandma. Uh, <laughs> but my grandma uh, was very frugal, which meant as she grew older, she still had lots, she had lots of money saved up for her old age, which continued until she was 96, just in case she got older than that. Uh, my grandma would occasionally, out of the blue, to send you a check. And it might be $20, it might be $3,000. And when we were young married, Rhonda and I were, that was a big deal, getting three, dollars $4,000. That was huge for us, and that would come. She had two expectations. The first is, you better write me a thank you note or you're not getting any more. <laughs> That's that generation hand-printed, written out, in a card with a stamp on it. It better come pretty quick. And you better not waste it. You better not waste it. You ain't getting any more if you waste it. She found out you blew it, no more is coming. She actually wanted you to save it for your old age yourself. That was, what, that was her dream for her grandchildren. You know, God has given this church so much, so many blessings. We have to be accountable to that and responsible to that. That is being faithful to God. 
Jesus told the story about stewards. There were three. Two messed it up and one did it right. Each got equal blessings from God, from their master. We were told in that, that illustration that Jesus uses. Two messed it up and they got no more. One did it right. He said, I'm going to give you tenfold what I first gave you. He said, those who've given, who are faithful in a little will be given more. I am convinced God's blessed his church for that one absolute reason we are dedicated to making a difference in the world we live in and serving each other effectively and well. Not because we have the best communicators in the world and the best preachers or best music or anything. And I think we have some of that. But that's not why. It's because we've been faithful to the God who calls us. Like, our, like my grandmother, I tell the story about. It blesses us that way. In the last 20 years, which is how long I've been your pastor, uh, we've done a, a back-to-back in those years, major building campaigns. For 10 years, we did that. We did, we did capital funding campaigns that lasted three years, three years, three years. Built a sanctuary, uh, built an education, uh, music, worship, youth building over here, big building over there. Expanded our sanctuary to do build, two building projects uh, with our uh, uh, mission center program. Uh, we re- renovated our chapel. We renovated, renovated worship area and our, our children's area and our youth areas. And if you didn't know it, we actually added on to the main building over here, which is now building A, I think it is. No, it's building C. We renovated that building as well and added space onto it. All, and now, that's all miracle stuff, by the way, to be able to do that. We've done those kind of things. And we celebrate that. We've, uh, uh, my first a few months here, uh, when I came to the church, we were running in the 300s in worship in those years. Uh, and when I came to the church, I thought, let's have a, what's called a great invitation. That's where you simply invite people to join the church in an easier way. In those years, you'd come up to the front. When you joined the church, everybody had to and had to run through kind of a mill to get up here and had to say certain words, and I had to say certain words, and we tried to make that happen. Let's just have a great invitation. And we had one of those on a Sunday morning in the old uh, sanctuary now called the chapel where the well meets uh, each week. And I remember when the service was over, I said, everybody go, everybody leave, will you? Everybody just go on and, and, uh, and go home except for those who would like to unite with the church today. And here's how you can unite with the church. I was up there by myself with a little clipboard, and I thought, I'll just help people, you know, do this, and I'll, I'll walk them into the church family. And, and 96 people joined the church that day. I thought, this is different. I thought, maybe more people want to do this too. And so I did it a few weeks later, just in case I missed someone, had 120 join then who heard about the first one. And so more than 200 people joined the church in just a month period. And I thought, this is not my grandmother's church. <laughs> that happened. And nothing has been the same since then. We had a meeting uh, not long after that. What was our vision for First Methodist Church? What are we going to do here? And and we had a meeting with our leaders, and many of those leaders are here right now, still leading our church. And we met together, and we set a goal. One day we'll have 1,000 people come to worship, and we'll have 3,000 members. That was the bar we set for ourselves, and God laughs. Because God had more plans and intent for our church than we had for ourselves. Our job simply was to be faithful, not to set goals or numbers. And so we were, and so we have been. But be aware the world has changed since then. This community has grown, certainly, but it's also dramatically different than it was. It has such great potential. But that potential is much, will be much harder to be able to achieve than it was in those years. It's going to take much work and leadership to make that happen. It's not going to be easy. Our community is getting younger. It's also getting older. 
Both those categories are actually multiplying here for lots of reasons. Time to explain that why, but that's happening. There's tremendous economic diversity here that was not, as well as ethnic diversity that was not when we, when we first arrived here. Uh, the schools have uh, almost 40% reduced lunches in our schools in the Mansfield ISD, which is a very large area, Arlington, Grand Prairie, Burleson, Johnson County, and lots of places around us in the schools, which is a remarkable opportunity for the church. Say, like, great, look what we can do, how we can serve, how we can help. The, the, the average uh, stay in Mansfield is three years for those who live in this community, in this area, Arlington, Mansfield, all around us. It's three years. Of course, some stay three days, some stay 30 years, but it averages out to simply three years before they move for lots of reasons. So be aware of that as well. And so we see this. I see this as an opportunity to say, okay, what are we going to do next? Ah, there's the title of the message. What's next? What are we going to do next? What's coming after this? Uh, how are we going to be able to serve God in this way? And what's unique is this year we're celebrating our 130th anniversary as a church this year. City's planning at Mansfield is 125 years old. We're in the same category of that. And we're doing this now. So we celebrate all those things in our life and, and ministry. And I'm uh, going slower than I thought. So I'm going to. And in my own life, my ministry began in a very simple way for us. Ron and I were talking that, about that driving in to the church this morning. That, uh, you know, people talk about a call to ministry. You ever heard the term the call to ministry? Uh, well, I got a real call. Uh, we were sitting in church on a Wednesday night uh, there in Springfield, Missouri, where I was finishing up undergraduate school, getting my BA in Bible. And uh, we were having church, and Rhonda and I held hands and prayed, Lord, we've got two weeks, get out of college, got to go to Texas. We have no idea what we're going to do. We don't have a job, money's all gone, uh, two kids, babies, what are we going to do? And while we were praying, uh, got tapped on the shoulder, and an usher said, you have a phone call. And that had never happened way before cell phones, as you might imagine. Somebody tracked me down from Texas at the little church I was going to in Springfield, Missouri. Well, I went and answered the phone and found out what the call was about, that a DS here in Texas, district here in Texas, said, we have a church we'd like you to come and serve in Bangs, Texas. And I said, they said, do you want to pray about it? I said, no, we were praying about it. <laughs> I don't need to pray. We were already doing it. And so I said, yes. He wanted to tell me how much it paid and how many people came to church, what the parsonage looked like. I don't care about none of that. I mean, you know, as it turned out, it was a, it was a nice small church, and the salary was a lot more than what we had, which was pretty much nothing. Uh, and so that was a real improvement. Actually, I had a car that would drive, and the air conditioning worked after that. Uh, but anyway, uh, we got a real call, and that's how it's begun for, for us and, and our experience in the church and how we moved and what's next for me. But I'll say for me, little has changed for me personally. You know, it's still about sharing good news of Christ, my own experience, teaching and preaching the Bible that I, that I love, that forms and shapes my own life, and I think the church. And it's still a verse I still love that I put on my first little card uh, that I wrote in on the top of the cards, marked up the name of the previous pastor, wrote my name in on there so because we didn't have to buy new cards, and then I wrote on the top, ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. And that's still it for me. Worked our, our together around that idea really ever since in a remarkable ways. Now to this. Done a great deal of research, and the intensity of prayer the last two years has been really major for me. Because I'm aware, uh, after we've learned this in the last 20 years especially, there have been long-term senior pastors leave, especially of mid-sized to large churches. This is a large church. 
one of the largest Methodist churches you've already known, that when they leave, the churches implode or explode. It's just a principle that often people, the leadership expect to happen. It just takes place. It doesn't matter the reasons why, it just does. Sometimes it's related to simply a cultural change. You can have a better pastor come in who leads better, but still it blows up and they don't know why. Wait a minute, this, this person's a lot better preaching than the one they had, but no. It's just the nature of how churches work. So after a lot of conversations with other pastors in the same situation I am in, those who are beyond the same situation I am in, churches much like this, uh, we discovered that there has to be a better way to make transitions in church leadership. We, we can't do it the way the old church did. Does anybody know how the old church did it? Uh, if you're a pastor, uh, you know. If you've been in church long enough, you know. On Wednesday at noon in July, the pastor moved out of his house, or she moved out of her house. And then the new pastor moved in at 12.01. One pastor left, new one showed up, and you hope it worked okay. Uh, we discovered that doesn't work okay. Uh, it doesn't work okay in big churches at all. It works really bad. And so we're looking at a new way to really operate in transitions, moving in a new season of growth and effectiveness. One of the things that I've, I've no, I really feel for my own personal leadership is I am a person who envisions well into the future. I, I see 10 years down the road. I love saying, what's the church going to be in 10 years? And how are we going to be able to be effective for a long time, not just today? You know, a lot of changes we make are about the future. And I began realizing through prayer and worship and all that, that I really couldn't do that anymore. Uh, part of that was, uh, I'm going to be 62 in March, that 10 years, wait a minute, you know, uh, maybe that's not going to work. Uh, and I realized that was not going to be the best way for this church to be led. It was not the ideal way, and it wasn't going to work, and I really couldn't envision like that anymore. One way certainly was uh, that uh, just the time frame, you know, that I have, uh, I'll probably retire before I get that old, you know. I, I may not have any choice that that's going to come. You know, I can't deny that. And the second part is I realize the world's changing so rapidly that maybe there might be a better person who actually can say, where should the church go in the next 10 years to be effective for Christ? Where is that? Who is that? How is that going to work in the church? Ten years ago, uh, I had a chance to have a, a lunch in Cleburne, Texas. And that lunch was with a, a, a young guy uh, who was uh, serving the church there as a youth director. Uh, and in that season, uh, we needed a, someone to come work with youth. And I thought, well, you know, he's in his 20s, and I hear good things about him. I've known him since my, our kids played together in the Methodist parsonages, uh, and played, played together in Methodist preachers' meetings when they were little uh, with him because his father is also a Methodist pastor. I became aware of him. His name is David Alexander. You all know David. Uh, and so I had lunch with him, and we talked about it, and can we make this happen? You know, we were told don't have lunches anymore until you talk to the bishop first. That's an old other conversation. Uh, so we had a lunch where we talked about it without talking about it. We could kind of hint, but we couldn't be too specific. And so we kind of hinted around and said, okay, you know, I went, to, I went to our bishop and DS, can we get you know, David Alexander in our church, he's a brand new young pastor. We want him to, you know, work with our youth program. You know, that's all I really knew at the time. You know, I heard good things, but that's all I, all I really knew, you know. And uh, we made that happen. And he began working the here for us in our youth program for a number of years. Uh, then later on, he became our teaching pastor. And then later on, he became our directing pastor. 
He now leads several of our worship services and also directs much of our church staff in a very clear, uh, competent way. So we have that happening uh, for him. Uh, David uh, has history that probably is amazing. You may not be aware. To be his age and know what he knows and do what he has done has been very remarkable. So please note that clearly if you can. Uh, he, has, uh, he worked in the Wesley Foundation at Texas A&M. That's the only thing I hold. No, that's another joke story. I won't do that. <laughs> How many eggs does it take to eat an armadillo? It takes two, one to eat it and one to watch for cars. <laughs> you can use that. Please don't give me credit. But he worked in the Wesley Foundation at Texas A&M, one of the most, probably the strongest Wesley Foundation in the United States, is that foundation there who brings many people into ministry and the life of the church for many, many years. It's a remarkable, really, place there, university as well, but certainly the Wesley Foundation there is. Grew up in the home of a Methodist pastor, so he has an inside view that probably few people had, even I don't have, growing up in that circumstance. Went to seminary with his father, as you probably uh, have already noted. Uh, and, and he's also been selected by numerous groups in our denomination. There's a team that Adam Hamilton leads, uh, the largest Methodist church in the country, and they select young pastors to help mentor and guide. They see them as future leaders for the church. Uh, he was selected to be mentored by Adam Hamilton and Mike Slaughter, two of the largest, most amazing Methodist churches in the country. They came looking for him, and he did that training with them. Maxie Dunham who's an historical leader in our church, almost 80 years old. He has led and taught and directed our denomination in so many remarkable ways, and they did the same thing. Pick David, we want to teach you some more things, and he's done that training there with them. Uh, he's had a long-term support from Mike Bonham, a local cons- uh, a, a Texas consultant, consults with our conference and this church some years ago, and he continued to have that relationship with Mike Bonham to grow and learn and, and uh, do that. He's recently been selected to do training to be a church coach, which I am now and doing a church right now. He's doing that also as we speak, serving a church as a church coach, uh, blessing people in that way. Recently, he received the Bishop's Preaching Award at annual conference, which is a coveted award by many preachers. He's got that, uh, and we celebrate that. He now also is on what's called, it's it's a conference lead a team that leads our annual conference with the bishop and others. He's on that table, and he serves that on a regular basis in also very special ways. Uh, he's had a long-term relationship with our bishop, Bishop Mike Lowry, in what's called a reverse mentor, which you may have never heard of. But what it means here is Bishop Lowry is in his 60s, says, how can I best serve and relate to young pastors? And he uh, uh, picked David to be that person for him. All those things for us. Now, uh, I want to share what's going to happen. In a minute, I'm going to have David come up here, and we're going to talk for a second, and I'm going to kind of give instructions for that as well. Uh, And I also want to clarify what's going to happen here uh, for me personally. A movement's going to be made where I'm going to be a pastor in your church. I'll be your pastor. Uh, There are many things that I'll do, but one thing I'll continue to do is I will be the lead pastor and worship person and preacher for all our traditional worship services. Connect with others as well, but that would be primary for me. I will work with pastoral care, leading the pastoral care teams, uh, working with others in that process, lay chaplaincy, Stephen ministry. I'll work with outreach and mission uh, in ongoing ways. 
adult ministry, older adult ministry especially, aiming at that, some other, and men's ministry as well. But we're going to make a shift here in a way that I think is God-led for us. I'm going to ask David to come up for your word at this time. Don't applaud yet. Stop it. Stop it. I'll give you a chance to applaud in a minute. I'll give you all a chance to applaud in a second. So, uh, But what we're going to do is this has been processed through our what's called our cabinet, which is all of our district superintendents who meet together. Processed with our bishop, Mike Lowry, began two years ago. Uh, much prayer on my part. I've, I've initiated all of this. I've initiated all of it. Uh, through much prayer and research and angst and all that goes with that, conversation with other pastors of the large churches, other people in process, uh, as well as with our, uh, again, our bishop, our district superintendent, Bob Holloway, as well as our PPR committee and our chair sitting over here. We had multiple conversations with PPR committee of this church before we moved in this direction. This is actually something that, this is actually something the bishop will do. I can't do this part. I can only kind of announce it to you. The bishop makes appointments in the church. He also makes designations for us. I can't do that either. The bishop, Mike Lowry, makes those decisions, and he makes his appointments. In July, David and I will be appointed officially uh, according to the conference as what's called co-pastors. But here it's really more than that, so understand that, please. I'm going to ask David to kneel here, uh, right here, uh, and face you, because I'm going to pray for him. Uh, He knows a little bit about this. But after I finish praying for him, I'm going to ask him to stand. And when he stands, the minute he stands, he will be the senior pastor of First Methodist Church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for David's life, call, mission, all you've done in his life to bring him where he is today. Thank you, God, for sending him to us. Lord, you know, if we try to pick someone to lead this church, looked all over the world, we stopped with him because he was available. But God, he's made himself available to you. Thank you, Lord, that he chose to stay here for 10 years, serving in small ways and bigger and bigger ways, being patient, waiting and wondering what's going to happen next and trusting you, God, with his own future. And now, God, that future is here for his church and for him. So God, bless him. Bless him, Lord, in his leadership. Bless him in ongoing growth. Bless them with his effectiveness, Lord. May this church be great and even greater. May the what's next time for us truly be what you would have it to be. God bless his wife. You know, Lord, she doesn't really know what she's getting into. But bless her, God. Bless his kids. We know how their life is going to change. And bless us as he leads us. Make it so, God, by your call upon him the grace and mercy you've given him as his Savior, lordship of you that he's accepted in his life, and God, where he takes us. He will be our leader. I pray that prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't stand up yet. (laughs) This is my last chance to be able to tell him what to do. It'll be done in about three minutes here. The next two weeks, uh, he's going to be preaching all the messages I will not. He'll be preaching uh, in all the services. I'll be in the services with him, but he'll be doing the preaching. And the what's next now is his to do, not mine. So it'll be his vision uh, that he will share as your senior pastor. I've done that for 20 years. It's his turn. It's my turn to get to be able to 
to pray and preach and teach and lead and pastor and do all the things that I'll always do. I'm a busy person. I'm active. I'm going to stay busy. I don't have to do anything else. Uh, and there's a lot to do in those arenas, by the way, if you didn't know this community. They're busy all the time. But uh, when he stands, he'll be your senior pastor. And so stand. You can sit down for one second. Uh, I hope to be here as a full-time uh, one of your pastors for the next four years. That's the plan that presented to the bishop, approved by our bishop, which leads me till I'm 66 years old as a full-time pastor for you. And I, I love, I'm looking forward to what that's going to be for me uh, as, as one of your pastors. I uh, will spend a lot of energy supporting David uh, and submitting to his Lord's authority in my own life, uh, following his vision. That's what I'll do. That's going to be my task now. It'll be a big shift for me, but that's what, what I will do. And then my hope is at 66 to go part-time and stay here until I'm 70 as uh, just a, doing pastoral care. Uh, and so that's the plan approved by our bishop. Hope it works like that. Uh, God's a part of that story as well. And, and the bishop also made it clear, and I must make it clear to you as well, our bishop, Mike Lowry, makes appointments. All this can change if he chooses to change it. Uh, and so just be aware that's always possible. We, we believe it's not in the, in, the, in the future for us, but I want to make that clear for us.